Welcome to the Right on Point podcast with Wayne Rohde. The Right on Point podcast is a candid discussion of your legal rights, civil liberty ramifications, legalities of possible mandates of COVID vaccines, and actions by our federal government and state governments. Plus exploring the untouchable topics within the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, the PrEP Act, and the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program. Welcome to the Right on Point podcast, everyone. Thank you for listening. Once again, we meet up for the most intriguing podcast show discussing your civil liberties, your legal rights surrounding the COVID epidemic, state and federal government actions, and our health freedom. I'm your host, Wayne Rohde. Please check out our website, rightonpoint.online, for previous episodes, discussions, show notes, and the bios of our guests. And you make sure to subscribe to these to this podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, and many, many others. We're out there everywhere. Uh, the Right on Point podcast is very delighted to bring you a platform that shares exciting and informative shows delivered by tremendous guests, like we have one today. So thank you, listeners and subscribers to this podcast. Later this month in September, the Global Health Freedom Summit will be held in Alexandria, Minnesota, estimated attendance somewhere around 1,400 to 1,600 this year. It is going to be huge. Um, Friday evening, September 24th, and all day Saturday, the 25th. One of the most inspiring speakers I've heard in a long time, and I heard her last year at this event, Leah Wilson is here with us today, and she's also going to be presenting at the summit. Leah Wilson is the Executive Director of Stand for Health Freedom. So everybody, thank you, and welcome to the program, Leah Wilson. How are you doing today? Hey, Wayne, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, looking forward to this for the last couple of days. I was just trying to figure out what to talk about. And I think what I'm going to do is, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, how you got there, but then let's really dig deep into Stand for Health Freedom, because this is a monster, monster organization that everybody needs to know about and get involved with. So let us know a little bit about you. Yes, absolutely. So for those of you I have not met, three years ago, I decided to use my law degree in a whole new way. So I had left big law sometime before that to focus on our family's natural health center and foster care. I had gone to law school initially because of my passion for foster children and for foster care reform to save those kiddos older than eight, honestly, from aging out with zero sense of belonging and to save the two-year-olds from being medically managed with psychotropic drugs. So a part of that advocacy was we fostered for a short time in our own home and became a very trusted family within our agency. But when it came for relicensure in 2017, we were told that we could no longer take placements because my own healthy children are now a threat to the well-being of the foster children. We choose not to fully vaccinate our boys with all 69 doses of the recommended vaccinations here in the state of Indiana. And we had formerly taken placements into our home. So I looked at this determination and I thought, well, there's no new science. There's no new law. 
just a pharmaceutical talking point getting in the way of children in need being loved in my law abiding, healthy home. So at that point, when I realized that the lies that get in the way of the care of our children who are in the deepest need are going to keep shaping policy mm-hmm. until we educate our communities and empower our communities to educate their own policymakers. So that's what I set out to do was just that. And it all started, honestly, I jumped in with Sayer G at greenmedinfo.com mm-hmm. um, to start reporting on at that time, what was the measles outbreak and the government's response there too. And the uh, Congress was hosting federal hearings on the federal response to the measles outbreaks. And guess who was there? None other than Dr. Fauci. Mm -hmm. He was one of the two people that were invited to testify in front of Congress. And you won't be surprised that at that time he was lying. He was asked about the risks very directly about the risks of the MMR shot. And he was asked if encephalopathy was ever an adverse reaction or a known adverse event from this specific shot. And his response was no. And you could see Dr. Mesner beside him squirming in her chair because it doesn't take a scientist to look at the product insert and see that that's Mm -hmm. a flat out lie. So at that point, you know, with the CDC lying to the American public and policies being pushed that really were all based in bullying, Sayer and I saw a big hole in the people's battle against these lies. And Mm -hmm. that hole was a measurable active voting block. We know that a measurable, peaceful protest of three and a half percent is what it takes to assuredly change a political issue or to change a cultural norm. And so we set out to build this voting block for health freedom with, with state groups and with local strategies, but with a national reach and now an international reach. Just this past year, we were fortunate enough to um, launch Sandra Health Freedom Canada also. We just had such a great response and participation in Canada. Mm-hmm. And then we had the connections there through one of our co-founders being Canadian, that it made sense for us to expand our reach into that country also. So here at Stanford Health Freedom, you can take action and take a stand with the click of a button. And what that does, it allows you to speak with a powerful, integrous message along with all of the others who are taking action on this campaign. So not only are you using your voice to let your policymakers know what you want to see, but you're also standing together with strength in numbers. Why it's important to make your voice heard. Is it because we think that it's a shoe in win? No, it's because if we are not educating our policymakers, then we have no legs to stand on when we don't like what happens. Mm-hmm. We know that the pharmaceutical industry is spending billions of dollars to influence policy every single year. So at every level, our county health departments, our state health departments, state policymakers, congressional um, representatives, they are all hearing from the pharmaceutical lobby. And they're all hearing these talking points that vaccines are safe and effective, that one size fits all medicine is the way forward for the population. You know, they don't use one size fits all medicine. However, they do say that here's what we're going to mandate on society, um, that religious exemptions are being abused. The science is settled that the unvaccinated are a threat. Those are basically the four talking points right there 
that are being spoken over and over and over again to our policymakers. And so it's our job to make sure they are also hearing from us because we support policies and policymakers that strengthen your right to decide how you care for your body, how you worship God with the care of your body, how you care for your children's health Mm -hmm. and access to all the information that is needed to make those decisions. And so that's why we exist. And we can um, make a promise to you that the only thing you have to agree upon by joining our message is that you're the one that gets to make those decisions for yourself and for your children. It doesn't matter what decisions you ultimately make, whether you vaccinate partially or fully or not at all. That's not the issue. We have plenty of people acting on our platform that fit into all three of those camps because they see that the personal responsibility of healthcare falls with the individual and that no one else can take up that torch for us. Wow. That's a very, very powerful message there. Um, You mentioned Canada. A couple of years ago, I had the privilege of going up to Toronto for a big, large rally that they had. And uh, it was at Memorial Day weekend. I was actually speaking at Autism One on a Friday, and then also speaking on the same conference on a Sunday. So what I did is I caught a plane out of Chicago, flew up on Saturday morning, met with a a, a very strong, large group of people from uh, Canada in Toronto at a rally, and then flew back to Chicago that night, later that night. I was really tired from all that, but it was amazing all the friends that I made and the strong advocates that you have up there in Canada. There was people, get this now, Toronto's more on the eastern side of the whole nation. There was people from British Columbia that made the made the the the, the route, I guess the travel uh, to Toronto uh, just for this one day rally. These people are um, they need help. Because they're basically, you know, the you know the whole nation has been so isolated from uh, in all the different provinces, but they have this, you know, they have a message. They're very caring people, and um, I've met so many of them, and I'm good friends with several of them. And it's so I'm glad you decided to go up there. That is, uh, it's really concerning what's happening today with COVID and how they're treating people up there, but. Um, Yes. Yes. They are amazing people and historically have been kind. And I would even venture to say a little bit softer in their tone than we Americans. However, the pressing has been more intense there sooner. And you're seeing that equal and opposite response to that pressing. Um, we have friends up there that are part of our advocacy group that literally cannot eat in restaurants now. So they're already to that point. Like we're seeing in some of the cities here in the U S that's sweeping across Canada, that you can't go to a restaurant. Um, you can't access public services in public. You have to have things delivered to your home because you can't participate in the whole quarantine, the forced quarantines and the, um, the military contact tracing is just something that you can't fully appreciate until it's on your doorstep. And so we are not seeing these Canadians give up they are continuing to speak out. They're continuing to share the message and to grow their strength in numbers too. Mm-hmm. So it's been inspiring to see their grit and to see their heart as they unify and come together. You're speaking at the um, Global Health Freedom Summit um, later this month. What is your message? What's going to be your message there? 
to the people. There's going to be a lot, you know, last year we only had about what, six, 700. And the organizers are telling me 14 to 1600 this year. It's going to be huge. So what is your message going to be? Who can help me? What attorney can I hire? What law has my back? What um, form can I submit? And the truth of the matter is that this is really going to require individual legs going from wobbly to sturdy, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what we're here for is to empower you to take that first step, to take that first stand, to feel that there is hope through action. And it might seem small just to click, to act on a campaign, but when you start that dialogue with a policymaker and you share that same message with 20 of your friends and you see the numbers grow and realize that you're not alone, then it becomes a very powerful thing, especially during this point in time when we're all feeling very isolated and like, we're not sure where our resources are, that there is the first step that you can take. And we're seeing Stanford health freedom advocates come together in different States. We currently are um, in strategic partnerships with 17 different state organizations Mm -hmm. and the stories that come out of the meetups within certain counties and within certain school districts, as they use these resources on our website are just super awe-inspiring because masses of people, I can tell you from firsthand experience, from firsthand testimonies that masses of people are waking up to the power of their own voice. Um, And the reason I said a resounding yes to coming to speak at the Mm -hmm. global, global health freedom summit is because I believe that this event will provide three things for the people that are coming. And these are three things that the people are looking for. And that's Mm -hmm. validation that you're right. And seeing that something needs to be done about the state of our world right now. Number two, community recognizing that you're not alone and that there's a lot of great people who are willing to lock arms with you. And number three is action. What can Mm -hmm. you do about this? I'm not the only action oriented speaker that's going to be there. I'm going to be in great company. Um, when it comes to Dr. Larry Pilevsky and Sherry Tenpenny and Dr. Mm -hmm. Dwell Bohemia and Chrissy and Hall, you know, all four of those other speakers that those are just the ones that came to mind immediately are great examples of how to live a lifestyle of freedom. And that's what we're going to walk away from that weekend with is resolute and ready to say, I've drawn my line in the sand and this is a hill worth taking. Uh, I think Dr. Bob Zajac is going to kick off the, uh, the event in the morning start. Uh, hopefully he's not going to be wearing his unicorn suit or whatever it is. <laughs> I hope he does. <laughs> well, it's, it's hilarious. And, uh, um, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. And I had the pleasure of being with uh, Dr. Bob and not myself and a couple others, uh, Susie um, Olson Corgan um, and um, see Kevin Barry was there. We were all up in North Dakota conference here uh, back in August. Dr. Bob was, it's just unbelievable what he can do. And um, yes, his, his heart and passion for informed consent you know, and, um, just his desire to see people succeed is palpable. I mean, you can, you can be 500 yards away from him, but mm-hmm. here this be an earshot of his voice and understand that what he wants for the people is pure. And I love that about him. So it'll be great to be with him again, as well as Dr. Scott Jensen and taking on this mm-hmm. huge, um, race for governor in Minnesota. And let me tell you, I don't know if I've ever been more excited about a gubernatorial candidate than 
Dr. Scott Jensen, and I don't even have skin in the game in Minnesota, but I do care about health freedom. And I know that he would be an amazing trailblazer in that seat for our country. Well, um, I'm very fortunate to, uh, to be part of uh, Dr. Scott Jensen's campaign in, and we're sitting there and uh, it's going to be a tough battle. It's going to be really tough. Um, mainly just the political layout of the state. Um, um, but Dr. Scott Jensen's message resonates and it's, it's starting to quite uh, people who really didn't know, know him or didn't really understand what he was about. Now they're starting to, people are starting to understand it. And so this Health Freedom Summit is going to be, it's going to be really powerful. And then you have Del Bigtree at the end. So you're going to have, you know, like this. But you mentioned one of your, you had three points. And the last point was action. You talk about what you, one of the takeaways from what you, your presentation. Tell people how they can get involved and become active with your organization as far as working with organizations or contacting you or what happens if, um, you know, maybe you have a group that's in Utah or wherever, South Dakota, and they want to get moving forward. And what can they do? Uh, how to contact you and how to get started. Absolutely. On the level of a group, um, we have, if you email advocates at standforhealthfreedom.com, mm -hmm. you will reach Bailey, who's our relationship manager and oversees all of our strategic partnerships. And we have a process that we go through with a little application to say, Hey, why are you wanting to partner? And what's the work that you're doing? Because we want to know that the groups we partner with are committed to moving health freedom policy forward and to stopping anti-health freedom policy. So with that commitment, we can also commit to the group with equipping them with access to a larger audience, with the tools to grow their own audience, mm -hmm. and with the advocacy tools to um, make it very clear how many people support or oppose specific measures. And um, so we have great thriving relationships in 17 states right now. And I'm going to be honest with you, we have big goals to increase that to all 50 states by 2026. So we are moving in that direction. So if you are listening right now and you are a part of a group or you have a group that wants to speak to us, please do email advocates at stanfordhealthfreedom.com. As an individual, without having your own nonprofit or um, coalition of peoples, um, you can text the word stand to 50457. And right now, when you text the word stand to 50457, you'll get a link back that allows you to take action on, um, a campaign that says no to vaccine passports. Mm -hmm. One of our key campaigns right now is educating your elected officials on what it means to embrace a digital identity or access based on vaccine status, because I'm going to be honest with you. It's stunning when you walk into a room and you recognize that there are people in leadership positions and elected official offices that have no clue how quickly a vaccine passport will lead to a two-class society. Mm -hmm. You and I who have been thinking critically about these subjects, it's obvious to us, but until we educate the people around us and the people in these um, positions at the health department or um, in the state house about what this will look like for our society, then we have a long road ahead of us. I was at an Indiana state department of health meeting 
when was this last Wednesday, I think. And I walk into the room and the first thing I hear is one of the board members on the department of health board saying, why can't we move from the honor system in the Indiana restaurants and venues to a show your paper system? And, you know, one of the, the chairman of the board of health was saying, well, Indiana passed this law, the last session that says we can't promote that kind of thing as a governmental body. And I'm thinking, I can't believe that they're looking. So then they start asking, like, is there a way around this? Is there a way that we can prove the law isn't valid? And they saw no issue. Not one of the 20 board members rose, raised their hand and said, there are some costs to this. We need to think about what this would mean for our community. You know, it was like, I, in in my public comment ended up addressing it, which I didn't plan on addressing that specific issue, but I had to, after hearing, Mm -hmm. um, what they were saying was, wait, 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 do we honestly want a two-class society? So one way that you can get involved is by starting to educate your lawmakers on wanting policies that strengthen Mm -hmm. health freedom and say absolutely no to a two-class society. And you'll, you can click to act on that campaign. You can edit it and put in the top. We always say at the top, put your own story. How would this affect you? How would this affect your job? How would this affect how you interact in your own community or your children's schools or, um, something you rely on as a way of life? How would this affect you and then click send and then share that with friends and you'll become a part of our voting block by standing up on that specific issue from there. I mean, on our site, there's lots of news and resources Mm -hmm. about current issues that point back to how you can take action on those specific issues. So dive in. Once you take action, you will be able to get our action alerts directly to your inbox and get our, normally we have weekly news alerts that come out um, with a key interview on a topic that is hot right now, or just educating our advocates on how to continue to grow their advocacy muscle. Wow. Okay. So we got, we, you have, you, you, you're able to take care of the, the individual that wants to get involved or doesn't know how to get involved. So you can go out to the website. If you have a group maybe an established nonprofit, um, maybe it's a, it's a, a local organization, maybe it's a statewide organization, and they need a little bit more support. And so now they can contact you there too. So you can help the whole spectrum of advocates on the grassroots uh, level. What's next for you? You've got this Health Freedom Summit, and then I think you're in Iowa in November. You must be in a several different places. I'm going to be in Iowa in November too. So what else are you, where else are you heading out? Your, your, it looks like your time is in high demand, your presentation and your message. Where else are you going? Yeah. So Minnesota is next. So we'll see you there. And mm-hmm. then I'll be the very next weekend in Orlando speaking to chiropractors and their teams. And then the weekend after that, I will be at COVID con in California, Sacramento, California. And then I think my trip after that is Iowa. And then I'll be in Nashville helping teach other advocates at the beginning of December. So it'll be a really exciting end of the year as we um, continue mm-hmm. to grow, you know, just Speaking of the time of year, sometimes you see this summer season 
advocacy groups don't grow as much because many states are in recess or they're not in mm -hmm. session. But we have grown by a hundred thousand advocates over the last month. And I think that's in, in large part to the bill being filed in Congress to say the vaccine passports might be required to fly. And that's a buzzword. I, I guess I'd say a buzz concept. I don't know if that's even a term, but that is something that has been on people's radar. Even someone who doesn't even care about health freedom, they know that what is at stake here? What is at risk is we might have to participate in a pharmaceutical product to fly to see our grandchildren or to fly to continue to work. And people don't want that. And we saw that loud and clear when in seven days we got 94,000 signatures. And mm. so now we're up to, I think, 106,000 signatures. And this week we plan to deliver a letter to that committee in Congress, letting them know that Americans do not want this policy and please do everything you can to kill this bill. What do you say to the um, people that are in favor of vaccination, but they're waffling on this requirement, this mandate biz? My state senator here in Minnesota um, is in favor of recommending, highly recommending the, the COVID vaccine, but he's not, and he's a Democrat, a staunch Democrat, but he is not too keen on mandates and government uh, forcing people. What do you say to, there's a lot of people like that. I think there's, we look at our own community and our own, you know, and it's the ones that say, absolutely, we're not getting the vaccine. But I think there's another group, and it's a large subgroup, that don't believe the government should be telling us what to do. How do we relate those two groups? How do we put those two groups together to common, to work to stop a mandate, to stop passports? I agree with you that there are, you know, the president just said there are 80 million eligible people for the vaccine that have opted out of the vaccination. And I know there are many, many more who received it, who are against the mandate. And so I would say at least double, you know, we're in the hundreds of millions now of those that would be willing to lock arms to say the government does not have a say in individual healthcare decisions. And I think that's where we find common ground is to say that it is the individual's choice to decide how they care for their body and how they care for their children. And that once the government involves itself in that decision, we're in a really scary spot because when I interviewed Vera Sharav, childhood Holocaust survivor, she said, when the government and industry lock arms, we're in a dangerous spot. And I have to agree with her that there are enough aware people to know that especially the federal government is very mm -hmm. bought, very bought. Mm -hmm. No, they, there's just like way too much to be gained there. And the corporate interests are undeniable. And so to say that we are going to leave the future of our children to corporate whims is nuts. And I think that we've all had enough of the fear campaign. We've all had enough of the government overreach. It doesn't matter what decisions we make in regards to vaccination, or if we wish the whole community would get vaccination. There are um, several surveys that show people do not want to force this upon others. And I congratulate them and don't blame them at all. Because think about the weight that puts on your own shoulders. When you say, Hey, I'm going to choose a pharmaceutical product for you. You know, like, no one needs that responsibility on another person. And quite frankly, they would only have it spiritually, emotionally, and morally, not financially or physically, because 
the pharmaceutical industry is immune from liability for any harm or death that comes Mm -hmm. from these products. And people who are for mandates, I wonder how many of them know that, that this industry cannot be sued for harm or death, even if their product had a defect. Well, in my world, where I live in the vaccine court, and also the countermeasures injury compensation program, that's kind of where I've been at for the last 11 years. Um, people don't understand. We've got this COVID vaccine is, is an interesting um, issue. And as I talk to people that are kind of wishy-washy, and my brothers and sisters and their families got the vaccine. And I've been pushed away from the family. Um, matter of fact, when I was going back to North Dakota, where I originally grew up as a kid, uh, I was going to stay with my mom. And instead of staying in a hotel at there next to the conference, I was told, no, you can't. And I just couldn't believe it. And it, it is, it is just this pushback and we're separate, you know, that it's the divisiveness of, of, of this policy of, got to have a vaccine, got to have a vaccine, and we're dividing families. And it's gotten to the point now where it's it's worse to discuss than politics on the Thanksgiving dinner table. Um, you can't talk about this topic at all when you get into family outings or stuff like this, and it's a shame. Um, and it's just I'm just wondering, is that by design that we're dividing these people and ostracizing our groups um, Locally, when, every time that Scott, Dr. Scott Jensen puts a comment out on social media or somewhere, um, all the pro-pharma people come flying in with their comments, and it's just, you can see it. And then you get people that comment behind it and stuff like this, and it's, you know, it's interesting stuff. But where do you see families? Um, is there going to be any way to heal the division, the division of these families. I don't know how to approach it. Um, I'm upset. I wrote my letter to my mother. I wrote my letter to my, my brothers and sister. And I said, this is where we stand. And with all, you know, my supporting arguments and yet they're going, well, this is, you know, we have to get this to stop, stop the virus. And it doesn't appear that we're, we're not going to be able to get together on this. Where do you see, is there a way to get families back together? Is there going to be a way? Have you thought about that yet? We have a lot of healing to do, don't we? Um, Oh man. (laughs) You know, there's been such an intense grieving process over Mm -hmm. the last 18 months, separation from educational institutions, separation from jobs, separation from your community because you're isolated working from home and now family. Mm-hmm. And um, coming down to our most nuclear level, to our most basic needs of a sense of belonging. And, um, you know, we can't ever really measure the intentions. However, what is fear used for except for it to divide? And I think us recognizing that and naming it that our common enemy across everyone is fear. And that me and my mom, if we have opposing views, one of us gets the vaccine, one of us doesn't, one of us thinks that people should be forced to get the vaccine, and one of us doesn't, that we can agree that the common enemy here is fear, um, whether it's fear of government overreach or 
fear of being forced to violate my body or fear of the virus, fear of death, that it has been used to divide intimate relationships. Mm -hmm. And, um, as with anything, there's hope. I don't think it'll be one necessarily with an information war. I think it's deeper than that. I think it's more human than that. Um, but it's going to have to be a divine breakthrough with, you know, it sounds cheesy, but it's like good old agape love is going to have to break in on this situation in one way, shape or form, um, to allow people to come back together that we're so intensely divided because our human ego gets in the way, you Mm -hmm. know, we stand by a certain position and our, the entire fabric of our being is invested in that position that we felt like what we were doing was the kind, caring thing to do. And then someone comes to you and says, you're not kind and you're not caring. It's not even useful, you know? And so it's, it's, um, I don't think it's going to be with information. Larry Pilevsky does such a beautiful job of facilitating conversation around these things and just asking, you know, like, well, what's your experience with that and listening and not offering any information until you're asked. It's just simply seeking understanding. And we can say, oh, that's not my experience or, oh, those aren't the experts that I trust, you know, like, oh, now I can see why you think that because those are the experts you trust. I don't trust those experts. Um, or I don't farm out my decision to experts. I simply refer to experts when making my own decisions. And, you know, we have a, a long road to walk with the healing of our families, the healing of our schools Mm -hmm. and communities. But I have to believe that we will come out on the other side of this better than we were before. This is, yeah, this is, I, I, I don't know where I'm, I'm so puzzled uh, from my personal, you know, with my dealing with my, uh, my family and stuff like this, but I know I'm on the right side of this issue. I, I know that one, a trust in my God, my Lord, but two is, is that, um, I have a vaccine-injured son. He's now 23, going to be 24. His twin brother is a, is a senior in college. and um, But Nick lives with us, and we have to provide care for him. He's nonverbal, and, he's, and he is disabled. Not physically, just uh, intellectually disabled. He's, he's a three-year-old, basically trapped in a man's body. Um, but it's a lot of fun at times, but it's also a lot of work. And this past weekend was really difficult, mainly because he decided he wanted to play throughout 24 to 36 hours straight. And I can't understand that, but that's what happens. And it kind of gets difficult. Um, But my reasoning is sound and you're right. I don't want to farm my decisions out to an expert or to um, an industry. I'm going to make the decisions in the best interest of my family. And that's the way it is. Um, and I keep telling people here in uh, Minnesota, you know, we've got a pretty large advocacy group here. Um, we're going to, we, there's going to be a lot of pain in the next six months to 12 months. A lot of our friends are going to have to make some serious decisions, especially those that work in healthcare. 
And we, they're going to need our love and our compassion and our understanding because they're going to have to make some serious, very big decisions. And they might have to make a decision that they're totally against that just because they have to take care of their family first. And these nurses and doctors, you know, when you get outside of the Twin Cities, you're in the rural, just like rural Indiana, rural Minnesota, you might have a hospital or a clinic, and that might be the only thing in town for 100 miles. You might have to make that decision. I don't know. Um, I hope not. Um, but we'll see. But we don't need to forget about them. We need to keep them in our prayers, and we need to uh, and and to rem uh, be compassionate and help them when they need our support. So um, this is really, really. I can't remember another time. I did have a conversation with my mom because in and going back, it says, what was it like? You know, um, you know, for you as a child. Do you recall anything like this? And they go, no. And so we did have that type of a conversation. Um, and I just don't, I, I keep, I'm a big fan of history. I keep going back 100, 150 years and trying to bring it back. And I just don't, I don't see anything like it where this is in unprecedented times. And I'm very, I'm very concerned where our country is headed, where this world is headed. And we need groups like yours. Um, we, they need to stand up. We all need to stand up and have each other's backs because our government doesn't have our back. Our state doesn't have our back and public health officials generally do not have our backs. So it's up to us to have our back. So enough preaching there for me. Okay. Um, closing argument, counselor, give me your best two or three minute closing argument about what stand for health freedom is all about, but also where, what we should we be doing uh, to help each other and help our own selves as we move forward? Yes. So well, I think recognizing that we are at a crossroads, no one can do this for us. So mm -hmm. it is standing on our own two feet and choosing a lifestyle of freedom, regardless of the risk involved. None mm -hmm. of us are denying that there is a great risk involved in how you summit will be different from your neighbor, from the person next to you, from the person, you know, at work with you. That's not, we're concerned about how you summit. It's just, the issue is that we each get there and that we're going to be able to celebrate being on the other side of this eventually. And these things that we're facing are ginormous. For example, the vaccine passports or the not mm -hmm. flying or the separation of families. These things are enormous. However, the strength of our own voices is our biggest Tool right now because policies need to catch up in order to protect us. So looking for an attorney to fight this in court for you might not be your best option right now because we need new policies. The policies haven't caught up to the historic time that we are in. And what we're really fighting for right now with our groups, our state groups with Stanford Health Freedom, I know several others are also is to make vaccination status and medical status a protected class so that we can have these legislated rights to participate in society and to hedge against our children living in a two-class society where some have privileges and some do not. So bringing it all back to what you can do and attending this global health freedom mm -hmm. summit, you know, when you show up, what we can guarantee you is that you, there's going to be a message for those of you that are concerned with the state of our world. 
there is going to be something for those of you that see a problem with segregation. There will be things for those of you who believe that the parent knows best and that the government has no role in individual health decisions and that no one should be forced or bullied to take a drug at any time. So we look forward to seeing each and every one of you there so that together we can step forward in protection of our God-given freedom to heal in a way that we prefer. Well, very good. Okay. Well, we're going to call that a day. Um, this has been a real inspiring message. As I said, you know, I, I listened to your message last year and I was looking forward to, and I'm really looking forward to what you're going to say here uh, next weekend. So, all right. You've been listening to the Right on Point podcast. This is a candid discussion of your civil liberties, issues, and your legal rights with your government. We discuss what no one else will by digging deep into the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, the PREP Act, the countermeasures injury compensation programs, and the legalities surrounding the COVID epidemic. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions of its listeners. So please consider donation to ensure future discussions and interviews. I want to thank my guest, Leah Wilson, with Stand for Health Freedom, and thank the many listeners of this program. And if you still want to get some tickets to the Global Health Freedom Summit, I can give you a discount. All you have to do is mention Right On Point podcast on the checkout, and you do get a discount to the tickets. But hurry up. They're, um, they're selling out quick. As always, as I leave you each week, keep learning, keep challenging yourself, and always, always question authority. Thank you, everyone. You have been listening to the Right on Point podcast with your host, Wayne Rohde.